0: From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: Yes, we are here to balm your soul. And I mean that. We take it very seriously here. And we are so excited to have you on the show today, listening in with us uh I am Sven Erlinson, the host. Whether you are tuning in from Ireland or Australia or Indonesia, we just love having you here. I'm joined in studio by uh, KC
2: over there in Debut and uh, Rob the Rocket. What's the good word, Rob? Good day, Sven. Yeah, you know, we're, we're taping this in midwinter, but it's kind of balmy outside and it's always balmy in uh, your approach. So I ah, appreciate that. We are balming the soul in balmy weather. <laughs>
1: Stormy weather. Ignorance. All right, let's get going. Rob, we've got Logan and Jamie joining us today. Um,
2: this is going to be good. Go ahead, Rob, tell us about Logan and then tell us about Jamie if you would, sir. Okay, Sven, certainly. Uh, Logan wrote in to us first. He said, I've been working on flushing out all the pain. I suffered as a child from narcissism and abandonment. I've been listening to There's a Hole in My Love Cup and journaling everything out. It's been a great help. I cut my family out of my life and started flushing out the pain and rewriting my present, but I've been left with a feeling of emptiness since I've started the process. I've cried out in pure anguish, writing out all the strong imprints that were left on my soul. How can I combat this emptiness? I don't want to fill it with bad behavior or anything that feels close to the emotions I've been working on flushing out. And then we also heard from Jamie who said, I need you all to know you are so appreciated and your show gives me hope, courage, and comfort. We thank you for that, Jamie. And she says, I'm in my second marriage to an extreme taker. I'm now seeing the reality that he's not changing and that I need to do lots of work on myself to change my patterns and to begin loving myself. I'm planning to leave with my 16-year-old and our two-year-old son. Starting over as a single parent for the third time has me very scared. Anytime I've been alone and solely responsible for the health and happiness of my child, I feel empty and alone. I feel unanchored and overwhelmed. I don't have family or many friends in the area, and that terrifies me. I need to fill this void feeling that I have. I want to feel complete and able to emotionally support my boys, but I need to be able to emotionally support myself first. Please help. Jamie and Logan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yes, great
1: to have you here. Thanks. Did, I don't know if you guys picked it up, but uh, Logan, you refer to in your paragraph there, you talk about uh, since doing some of the work, uh, sounds like a lot of the work uh, that I recommend and so forth, working on yourself and bringing out a lot of that pain and so forth, you experience a feeling of emptiness. And Jamie, you talk about when you are alone, you feel an anchor and overwhelmed, and this leaves me, and you say, I need to fill this, and you use the word void feeling, I have emptiness and void feeling. All right, so we're seeing potentially a similarity here, and uh, I find that intriguing, and so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Jamie, uh, I'm going to start with you you say I need to do a lot of work on myself to change my patterns and to begin loving myself. What do you think the biggest thing is um, top of the list, biggest thing that you need to change in your life?
3: I, I guess the pattern I have is to um, find people, seek people out for relationships that, um, you know, I have to do, I do all the giving and something in me feels like that's, that's normal. And that's, um, that's like, a requirement for me to find a relationship. So I need to, I need to fix that.
1: Curious. that part. I'm curious uh, if there were a fear underneath that um, I need to do all the giving and I need to have a relationship and I need, but specifically I need to do all the giving. If there's a fear under there, indulge me. Uh, what's the fear? If I don't do all the giving, then what?
3: If I don't do all the giving, then I'm not going to be liked.
1: And then what?
3: And then I will be, I'll be alone okay. and everyone will see that I can't, you know, have a relationship. Mm.
1: And then if, the, if people see, that's an interesting thing you looped in there. If people see that I can't have a relationship, well, then let me ask, what would they think of you?
3: That something, something's wrong with me.
1: And what do you most fear them thinking is wrong with you? or what do you fear the um, most thinking that I,
3: that I guess that just that i'm fundamentally flawed
1: fundamentally flawed let me ask you this if you're to be totally honest with me just be honest there's no right or wrong answer do you believe mm-hmm. that you are fundamentally flawed
3: honestly a little bit yeah
1: i i love i love that you're honest
3: i feel like in the work that i'm doing with i really have been um, going deep with your book and just listening to the podcast and just trying to be more self-aware of of um, my feelings. I I feel like I'm kind of learning that it isn't, that isn't true, that I'm not fundamentally flawed, but it's kind of like that's the surface level stuff, but the deeper stuff is what tells me you're always going to be flawed.
1: And fair enough. And, and so let me ask you, uh, you said, honestly, yeah, a little bit, I do feel fundamentally flawed. If you were to just... Open up to what your truth is, that deeper that you talk about. What, if you were to be totally honest, and I, I believe you are, okay? If you were to be totally honest, what percent do you of you is fundamentally flawed as you see it? What percent? I'd say like 80. 80%. All right.
3: That sounds about right.
1: And that's uh, just out of curiosity. Um, when you look at a situation, generally, uh, if you're assessing a situation, whether it's you know parenting or at your work or whatever, or, you know, assessing a person, do you tend to generally err on the side of thinking things are worse than they are or not as bad as they are? So if I were reporting, oh, how's your job? Would you be inclined to say, ah, it's fucking horrible? Ah, da, da, even though I just had a bad day. It's actually pretty good. Or do you tend to report as, no, it's wonderful. My job's wonderful, even though it's like my boss is a fucking prick. You know, do you tend mm-hmm. to over-report or under-report? I guess is what I'm asking.
3: I feel like I'm pretty uh Pretty accurate. Okay. Like then, I don't feel like I, I do I swing one way or the other. No
1: problem. Then that means we'll just run then with that eighty percent. That eighty percent you believe that you are fundamentally flawed, uh, or that you believe you are fundamentally flawed to the tune of eighty percent. All right, that's that's fair. I'm going to ask the obvious question: Where the hell does that come from? Where? What's the origin? Or more? Or you can take this one first, man. Either one of these questions: Where does it come from? Or what's the earliest you recall feeling flawed?
3: Um, so I'll go with the second question cause it seems an easier answer. Um, when I, my earliest memories of being like not good enough was like right around four, th- four is my, one of my earliest memories. And
1: forgive me for asking the obvious question. Why not when you were six? Why not when you were two? Why four?
3: Um, just because I have memories of being,
1: what's the memory.
3: <laughs> Do you want me to tell the memory? Yeah. Okay. So I was at, um, my mom signed me up for ballet. And I remember being so embarrassed of going because I felt like all the other little girls looked really cute and just little in their tutus. And I thought I looked fat. Hmm. Um, and that's all I could think. That's, that's the memory is I'm, I'm too fat for this. I guess that also equated to I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not good enough. Everyone else knows what they're doing here. Everyone else belongs here and I don't.
1: That's interesting, and that makes total sense. That you would then begin to feel flawed, and what goes with it. If I've heard you correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, feeling fat, feeling wrong, feeling not good enough. Were any of those thoughts or feelings conveyed to you by the teacher, by the other kids, by a parent, by a older brother? By what, what did was there? Where had you gotten it? Where the hell did that come from?
3: So it was. It was my mom because she would always you know, kind of body shame herself in front of me. And so that was kind of my default. Like, look, well, my mom's fat, which she was not. She was very skinny. Um, then I'm fat. And if my mom says being, you know, looking fat isn't good, then I'm not good. then i am not good
1: Righto, Bingo. Yeah. That's a bingo. Yep. Mom's self-talk since age four. Now, it's fascinating, though, if we really think about this, apply a little sort of timeline logic. If you're having that thought, distinct memory, distinct memory Mm -hmm. in ballet at age four, mom's self-talk, I'm willing to bet, didn't start that morning. No. And thus, the self-talk going on inside of you, comparing yourself to mom, identifying, this is your origin source. This, you literally, I don't mean to be crude, but you spit out of her vagina. That, that, and especially as a little girl, you are her. I am she. That is me. So your self-talk, if mom's self-talk did not start that morning, but had been going on, then it's reasonable to assume, and it may not be true, but it's reasonable to assume your own self-talk had been starting prior to that ballet class that day. Would that be reasonable, unreasonable, accurate, inaccurate? But you're the final assessment. So I don't want to put anything into you that isn't accurate.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely accurate. Yeah, that's just the earliest thing that sticks out. But I know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I mean, how much, you know, I, I don't have a lot of memories at three or two or one. So, you know, it's, yeah, that's yeah, okay. Right. Uh, some people do. Right. Um, but the point is, nailed it. Mom's self talk out loud embedded in you. Just out of curiosity, did you ever get external uh, messaging from that same power source or from the other power source, if you had an, a grandparent raising you or a father or whatever, or another mother, did you ever get other external uh, messaging that countered that message?
3: No. Not did yet. you
1: ever get any external messaging that reinforced that message, either from mother... Other than mother's own self-talk, what was her talk Mm -hmm. towards you? What was dad's talk towards you?
3: So my parents were divorced and it was just me. I was his only child. Um, And so I spent the vast majority of time with my mom and then my dad on weekends. Um, So
1: counter messages. It
3: definitely, it definitely, the message from my mom was always, um, be seen, not heard, you know, kind of message. Okay. Um, you know, and, and she was dating, um, dated dating, you know, various various men and so my memories were kind of just be that just be that quiet girl that in the corner that, you know, allows me to do what I have to do.
1: And what's the underlying and message to the child? about the child, about who they are, about their worth, about their value. What is the underlying message to the child that when I say be seen, not heard, be that child over in the corner so that I can go about my business? What am I? Uh, what's the underlying message I'm conveying to the child about their worth and value and mattering?
3: So that would be telling the child that they're not wanted and they don't matter.
1: Right. And so mm-hmm. combine... Uh, I'm fat, wrong, and not good enough with I'm not wanted, I don't matter, I should shut the fuck up. What would you guess that child's uh, sense of self develops into by, oh, I don't know, six, eight, 12? What would you guess that child now moving into adolescence uh, and you moving into junior high and boys and girls and all that, what do you think the self-worth was? Very, very low. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Logan, uh, your very first statement was, uh, in the very first sentence, you said, the pain I suffered as a child from narcissism and abandonment. What fundamentally was the great pain of your childhood? If you were to boil it down to the biggest thing above all else, what was the most painful part of your childhood?
4: Uh, I would honestly have to say never being good enough. For whom? Just my, well, how it all started, I was taken away from both of my parents when I was four. I was taken in by my grandparents in Florida. I, I'm originally from Arizona. My grandfather would basically beat me as a child, like strip me naked, whip me with a wet cedar branch. Like I, I felt like because of the way that my father disappointed him, it was taken out on me. So then you enter the arena of not feeling good enough.
1: Let me ask you Logan. Logan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You kind of would definitely feel you're not good enough. Um, and I, I gotta be honest with you. If you put me in that situation and I'm being stripped naked and whipped with a wet cedar branch and uh, that's probably just tip of the iceberg. I'm betting. Yeah. I wouldn't feel not good enough. I'd feel like a total fucking piece of shit, but Am I am I overstating the case, overwriting the scene here, or was there some of that too, Logan?
4: Oh, um, that that's definitely spot on for sure.
1: Okay, and and I will say uh, I'm sorry, Logan, and I'm sorry actually, you too, Jamie, that you guys had this shit happen in your fucking childhood. It's fucking horrible. Okay, so Logan, um, I, I I'm curious. I I'm not understanding. You were taken away from your parents at age four. Why were you taken away from your parents?
4: Well, my parents were very unfit to raise me and my three
1: sisters. What what specifically are we talking about? Why were they unfit?
4: They were unfit because they were basically never around. Like My mom spent all of her time in, in her room, and my dad was just never at the house, and that, that was just the, the start of it.
1: Okay. And so you say it was when you were four that you got taken away from your parents. Is that right? Correct. Okay. And yet you have memories. You just said mom was always in her room. So clearly you remember the prior to being taken away. Is that accurate? Yes, sir. Okay. And then you find yourself with grandpa who, uh, it. I don't know, this may be inaccurate, but I'm sorry, you're stripping me naked and whipping me with a wet cedar, and I'm sure that's just tipped the iceberg. I, I, can I go back to just you know mom being in her room and dad being gone? Because I I'm inclined to think you tell me if I'm fucked on this. I'm inclined to think mom just hanging out in her bedroom and me watching you know morning cartoons is better than the humiliation and the pain at grandpa's hands. Or did you feel something different?
4: Uh, to be completely honest with you, having my mother absent just. I mean, it's sad to say this, but it felt worse than being beaten with a wet cedar branch.
1: Oh, and I love so much that you said that, Logan. Logan, you have no idea what you have just said. I spend so many hundreds, thousands of hours over the years, and one of the hardest things, and you just fucking crystallized it, man. You, did, you just did me such a huge favor. You just did so many of my clients, so many of my listeners such a huge favor with that one motherfucking sentence. I would, moms, you know, being in a room and so forth and dad being gone was worse than being whipped with a wet cedar branch because what you've just done is this. People who have experienced neglect as a child and abandonment as a child Find it hard sometimes to tap into the anger at neglect. It's easy. It's easy to be angry at physical abuse. It's easy to be angry at sexual abuse, at verbal abuse. It's easy. It's right there. It's in your face. But when something is absent, it's a passive abuse. But you just said it's worse for you. It's worse. That's a powerful fucking statement. That is powerful. All right, so I, I got to hear, Logan, why is it worse for you that mom wasn't present? Why?
4: What made it so difficult was knowing that the pattern of not feeling good enough started when I was a kid, not feeling like I was ever going to be worthy of love or care, just always having the feeling of neglect and disconcern about my own safety as a child
1: not feeling good enough, neglect, disconcern for my safety. Who most neglected to make you safe in this whole equation? Is it grandpa? Is it grandma? Is it dad? Is it mom? Who do you, who, at least at the moment, are you most disappointed in or angry at for not making you safe?
4: Both of my parents.
1: What should they have done? What did you long for them to do?
4: I longed for them to actually give me a sense of security and love. That, that wasn't ever offered to me. And living with my grandfather and my grandmother, she was she was great at doing that. But my grandfather, there was a strong neglect there. Like, I, I never felt safe with him. And it... It just, it caught, it set me up for so much pain later on down the road.
1: When you said a few minutes ago that mom's abandonment and staying in a room and not caring and all that set in place a pattern of me being not good enough and believing I'm not good enough and the disconcern for my safety and so forth, you you were crying and that's good. I want to know, what were you feeling in that moment? What was the feeling word in you?
4: To be completely honest with you, the feeling was extreme hurt.
1: What kind of hurt?
4: The kind of hurt that saddens you to the point of depression, but keeps you on the precipice of happiness and maybe actually thinking that, you know, if, if things were different, then it, my life would have turned out better.
1: Your life might have turned out better. Can I ask how old you are, Logan? 33. 33. That extreme hurt inside is powerful, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's still there. It came right out. And it's pulsing and it's throbbing inside of you. Um, and let me ask you, what percent do you love yourself? If you were to be totally honest.
4: It's honestly a very low percentage, around maybe
1: six to 7%. Six to 7% love yourself. Yes. Okay. Six to 7% you love yourself. All right. And let me ask you this it's only 6%. It's only 7%, but it is 6%. So I got to know what is it that you love about yourself, Logan? If you're to be totally honest.
4: The fact that I can somehow still remain optimistic after I've gone through all of these horrendous events in life. Hmm.
1: What does that say about you?
4: A a difficult question to answer.
1: Do your best. Take a shot at it. In One sentence or less. What does it say about you that you're still able to be optimistic amid all this shit show that you're? past was
4: i would honestly have to say that being able to keep optimism is basically the only thing that has kept me alive and not feeling completely
1: dead inside but what does it say oh that's absolutely true but what does it say about you where does that come from that you're able to be optimistic because what it say? i'll tell you what it says to me And you tell me if I'm fucked in the head, all right? What it says to me is, as you guys have heard me mention on the show before, the flame is burning inside. That divine spark is burning. It's there. It's not extinguished for as much as they tried, for as much as they just didn't give a shit about your fucking spark and urinated on your spark, trying to put it out by walking away from you. By not caring enough to fix their own fucking lives and come back and save you. Which is what that little boy wanted. One thousand percent what he wanted. They tried to douse that divine spark when he stripped you naked and whipped you.
4: Completely agree with you on that. All
1: right. I'm going to flip back to Jamie here. But before I do, we're going to take a quick break and I'll be right back.
3: I've been doing some real healing work in my life, and I mean hardcore, but I've been craving something new to level up. A friend of mine told me about this badass counselor. I gotta admit, I rolled my eyes. Then I watched a few of his videos, and yes, this is the guy. I went and got his audiobook, Badass Wisdom. Holy shit. Absolute, ass-kicking, inspiring, deep, powerful shit, period. If you don't get this book, you're making a huge mistake. So do you got the guts to go big with your self-care? Go to badasscounseling.com, get the book, Badass Wisdom, now.
0: This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform, and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass.
1: All right, so uh, I wanna ask Jamie, Uh, This notion that you were fundamentally flawed and that it really conveyed the message to you uh, that you're not important and that you're no good and so forth. Is there any correlation, as you see it, between those things that you were taught about yourself as a child and then these uh, relationships? uh, You're about to become a single parent for the third time as you see it. Now, I know you've read my stuff, so you sort of know what the pat answer is on one hand, but I don't want the pat answer. I want to know if you see any sort of correlation between that past starting back there at 4 years old and sort of the path you've traveled since then.
3: Ah uh, yeah, I I mean I I definitely know there's correlation. Um the message it definitely was my mom, you know, my mom was the person I was around 90% of the time and my and then my dad kind of, you know, they him and his second wife started a new family and
1: and what you weren't wanted
3: my mom it was like i always had to bow down to her there was no room for there was no room for like me who i was um i really feel like i had i had zero sense of self i had zero <laughs> sense of even like being being real being this just there was no sense of sense of who i was and so I know that, you know, as I grew and got into romantic relationships, I, I sought out whoever was the most, I guess, in need of, of me to, to bolster their ego and bolster their, you know, their, their image. And I had no, like, needs personally, or at least I didn't think I did. So I didn't have a list of things that somebody had to meet as far as like being qualified.
1: And so you've sought people that wanted uh, help, wanted healing, needed what you could bring because you knew how to give, 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 give and my needs don't matter. You knew how to give someone. So the greater the needs someone had, oh my God, that's the perfect person for me Mm -hmm. because I know how to give the shit out of them. Is that accurate?
3: Oh, completely, yeah.
1: Okay, but that implies yeah. that you had learned that that was an effect, even if it wasn't all conscious, okay? But you had already been trained. You became the performing monkey that knew how to do that song and dance. You were an expert oh, yeah. at extreme giving. So what? We're, so then we gotta, let's trace it backwards then. You weren't just taught that you don't matter. You were taught, where did you pick up? Where was it praised, how did you were you praised when you would be a good girl and do the chores and help out mommy and go do that and listen to my problems in other words where did you learn the giving aspect we know you were taught that you were unwanted and maybe a piece of shit but where did you get the message that you got to give 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 do more do more do more where did you get that how was that conveyed
3: That's a very good question um everyone always would say oh she's so nice she's so nice and um I could be giving and that made people like me.
1: There you go. There you go. So when we think we're rewarding the child by saying, you're so nice, you're so nice, you're so nice. What are we doing? We're cementing a message. Nice is good. And so the child, well, Mm -hmm. shit, if nice is good, super ultra fucking great giant. Nice is going to be really good and really wanted (laughs) and get me the praise that I want. Get me the nice feelings. So I'm going to just give the shit out of everything to everyone, especially those who want it. Right? Accurate? Yeah. Oh
3: yeah. yeah
1: and how very. how did that become problematic then? Particularly in this most recent one, how did super giving become pro- why was that part of the problem? How did your super giving contribute to the downfall of this last relationship, or why was super giving in this most recent relationship problematic?
3: Um, it's problematic because I the the bar was set that he doesn't have to give. Um, oh. that, I, that I will always be the one to cave in, to um, bow down, to, you know, submit and and that the expectation has never been like it's an equal partnership.
1: So did you fun and I, I know this sounds fucked up to say, but I'm just gonna say it coming from a good place, tell me to fuck off if you need to, okay? Um, you fundamentally trained him how to teach you at, or uh, treat you at the very beginning. I'm just going to give, you just sit back and enjoy the ride. Give me all your pain. I'll take it. I'm going to take care of you. Did you fundamentally condition him to, I mean, and I'm, I am in no way taking away you know, his culpability. I'm not saying that. Did you teach him how to treat you in the beginning? And then that just became patternized.
3: Yeah, yeah. As far as our relationship goes, yeah, absolutely.
1: So then fundamentally, for you to have better relationships in the future, it would seem you're going to have to have the courage to give less or more accurately to insist that your needs be tended and wants and feelings be tended to as well. Is that safe to say? Yes. How fucking scary is that?
3: I don't know how to do it.
1: Right. And the way we do it is we go back to these origins and begin to look at these things and bring up all the feelings yeah, uh, because if I, I, I'm looking at a little girl who's three, four years old and she's already fat shaming herself, I'm kind of pissed off as an outside observer. Got to be honest, what the fuck, mom? Shut your fucking yeah. mouth, dad. And where's dad in this equation, Logan? I want to shift over to you here. Um, as you're hearing me talking there to Jamie, Logan, what's going on inside of you? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? as it relates to you. What do you, what's going on inside of you right now, Logan?
4: Oh, right now I'm currently processing the the effect of the hurt that I chose to keep pushed down inside of me.
1: Um well, let's let's run with that. Why do you think you chose to keep pushing down that extreme hurt?
4: Basically, what it comes down to is that my mother passed away in 2012. I found that out because I went to look her up online to see if you know I could make a connection with her again and my father <laughs> yeah that's that's a whole another story. Um he got in touch with me when I was 27. We talked for maybe a week and he Pushed me back out of his life because I said something that he didn't agree with that I guess went against his core value belief as a person.
1: Uh, What'd you say? Sum it up in like a sentence. What fundamentally was your message to him?
4: You're a fucking horrible parent.
1: (laughs) good for you. Um, and, and then he pushed it and yeah, I'm guessing I'm guessing that probably did go against his belief in himself, which is actually ironic that he potentially thought he was a, either a good parent or he didn't want you to say that. Uh, do you think he thought he was a good parent?
4: Oh, 100%. Oh my uh- God. <laughs> I fully believe that he thought he was a good parent.
1: I'm just curious, and and this is this may sound weird, but I'm just curious, and there's no right or wrong answer. Which is more offensive to you, what he did and didn't do in his child-rearing, his, his being a horrible parent, or is it more offensive to you that he actually thought he was a good parent?
4: It's, it's about equal on both sides. Fair enough,
1: fair enough. Um, and so then... You got in touch with your mom and you discovered she died. You made the connection. And then was it dad that reached out to you or you reached out to dad um, eight years ago?
4: I had to reach out to him.
1: You reached out to him. So um, what fundamentally were you wanting?
4: I was wanting to know that, you know, hopefully they would want to at least be a part of my adult life being they missed the greater years of me being a child and going through my teenage years. I mean, I, I would
1: hope. Fair enough. And if they wanted to be a part of your life, then what? I would have honestly given them a chance
4: to prove their self by building a relationship with me.
1: Proving self by building a relationship. And if you had that relationship with them, then what?
4: I can't say that it would 100% absolve the pain that I've felt but it would honestly help me feel better about the direction that my life is heading
1: okay and so if you felt if it absolved at least a lot of the pain and made you feel better then what would then what
4: i would honestly say that we could chalk it up to me not being as broken as a person and not constantly feeling like something or some part of me is missing.
1: Not broken and something's missing. And so if you no longer felt broken and like something's missing, if you no longer felt that, then what would you feel? What is the ultimate feeling that this whole sequence of events would drive towards? You you reached out wanting them to be a part of your life wanting them to prove themselves so that we could have a relationship and that would absolve a lot of the pain uh, and it would feel better and I would feel not broken and like something's missing. And eventually the ultimate feeling that you're driving towards in all of these actions, whether you were conscious of it at the time or not, looking back now, what you were really wanting was to feel what? Above all else. In one sentence or less.
4: To actually feel wanted and complete.
1: Wanted and complete. Jamie, is there any resonation inside of you on hearing about the desire to be wanted and complete, or is it different inside of you?
3: Absolutely, especially the complete part. Mm. Um, Maybe something about parents not being there physically or emotionally makes you feel incomplete. I'm not sure, but I definitely get that.
1: That that resonates with your experience because you had parents who were there. but Physically, yeah. Right. But uh, yeah. absent to your feelings, and in fact, injecting with a syringe, basically an emotional syringe, feelings of not good enough and fat and wrong and and so forth. Um, yeah. And you compensated for that by overgiving. Jamie, how have you compensated for feeling unwanted and incomplete your whole life? What's been your mechanism for getting love?
3: Well, just trying to always be the girl that does everything right.
1: Fair. And then Logan, what's the way that you have compensated for feeling unwanted and incomplete?
4: Oh, boy. um.
1: (laughs) In one sentence or less, how have you gotten love?
4: Oh, man, that's um, that's an excellent question.
1: (laughs) I thought of it myself. Thank you. And so what would be your answer? You could change your mind in a minute or in a day, but just spitball it. What have you done to get love? Because that child, the child's brain is thinking, how do I get love? How do I get love? It's not a conscious thought, but the child's brain is trying to figure out how the fuck am I going to get either get positive attention, get any attention, or at least get the criticism and shit turned off. What was your mechanism to get people to stop criticizing you and hurting you? Or what was your mechanism for getting people to love? Now, for some people, it's just, I just fucking ran away. I just got the fuck out. I spent all my time out in the woods on our property. Or I, or I just went off and I made friends and I, I went down the path of booze and drugs. But you know what? It was a fuck ton better than what was going on inside of that house. But Or some people, as in Jamie's case, give, 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 give over give. So everybody has a different mechanism for either getting love or running away from the pain. And I'm just curious what your mechanism was.
4: Um, I've actually narrowed it down to being a people pleaser, doing something that pleased somebody else in order to get what little bit of love that was available for me.
1: Exactly. And really, again, you guys are syncing up, Jamie and Logan, because that's really, in, in, despite word, you know, difference in words, but that's basically what an extreme giver is. That if I can just do something to make this person happy, then they'll like me. And then I'll feel a little bit wanted. Accurate or inaccurate, Logan? Correct. Right. But the problem is, and and now I'm putting it out there for each of you, um, whoever wants to answer it first, but the problem is, is that it, A, you never get enough back. You're always, it's like I talk about in the book, a relationship camel. I'm giving, you know, a hundred units and I'm getting one unit back. And boy, that one unit feels so good, but it's never enough. A, because it's not that much, but B, I got a fucking hole inside of me that believes no amount's going to be good enough. It's just, I, I just innately suck. I innately am incomplete. I got this big fucking hole. Is that uh, accurate or inaccurate? Jamie or Logan, either one of you. Um. That's yeah. One. Yeah. <laughs> it's accurate. Okay. And Logan, you said it's what? 100% accurate. Exactly. So now we're seeing the origins of our behavior. So now here we go. The $64,000 pyramid question. You were wanting it to feel loved and you did these things to make people like you and to feel wanted and complete. And I want to ask you each, what do you believe when you were two, when you were four, before, before all the messaging or before the all that messaging had gotten so big, Logan, do you believe that little Logan, that little shaver that would run around and he was a rascal, and but he was cute and he was funny and playful and would slurb at his belly like you do on a baby's belly or on their cheeks, you know, just playful stuff. When you are two or four, do you believe that that little boy Was good or was bad? Was good or was not good enough? What do you believe about two-year-old Logan?
4: As I've heard countless times on your your show, I mean, I've listened to, I don't know how many episodes of the podcast. Okay, you know
1: the Pat answer, but I want to know your answer.
4: I was 100% good as a person. like at, At that age, I really believe that I was good enough to be loved, good enough to be cared about. Like it, it was shown for a small amount of time, mm-hmm. but by the time age four hit, that's basically when everything went downhill.
1: And to the point where today you stated you love yourself about six or seven percent, but you have just ad- ad- admitted to me not because it's the pat answer, but because it's your answer, you've just admitted to me that you were good. Your native state was good, was lovable, was wantable, and was enough. Is that accurate? You don't have to just say it because it's a pat answer. Do you truly believe that?
4: 100% I do, yes. That's
1: it. That's it. Means everything since then has been fucking bullshit. And the truth is your reaching out to your parents was your desire to have them mend the cup, to get from them your worth back. You said, because then I could feel not broken, then I could feel healed and like no longer like something's missing. I could go back to my native state and the flaw in your thinking is simply this. And I'm not saying this as a criticism or whatever, I'm just saying that the the weak link in that thinking is that you need something from someone else. Yes, it would be nice if it had come from the parents. Mom, before you died, thanks for being, just proving in your death how fucking irresponsible you are, Mom. Thank you for that, bitch. Go fuck yourself. And forgive me for speaking to your dead mother, but I'm sorry. You fucking neglect your kid and then you don't act, actually try to clean it up when you know, shit, I'm going to be dying soon. Please. The flaw in the thinking is that you need someone to give you something. And that's what has been the whole time. I'm going to give, I'm going to be a people pleaser. Um, and you can begin to pull out those messages. And the more we pull them out, the more you begin to appreciate and fall in love with your own native self, but it's getting out all of those things as you've been doing, but it's more, there's more down there. Jamie, over to you. I'm going to ask you the question and what's your answer.
3: Um, my answer is I was completely good. I was, I guess, flawless as a two-year-old. Exactly. As far as two-year-olds go.
1: That's right. And two-year-olds are stinky and cranky and all those things. And guess what? That's because what two-year-olds are. Learn different things. That's right. And you're yeah. wonderful. And then the lies set in. Yeah. What does that make you feel when you think about that, Jamie?
3: It, made me, it makes me feel robbed.
1: Yeah. And robbed usually comes with angry and sad. And guess what? Boom, right there. That's where your healing begins. You begin to flush on that. You begin to journal on angry and sad. Just start there, and I guarantee more will come up. You were asking before, how do I fix this shit? That's it, right there. Anytime you're feeling anything, that's an indicator right there. Okay, start there. Angry and sad, and I guarantee there's probably pissed off under there. There's probably grieving grief under there. All these different feelings are under there. All of that. Keep bringing it up. Welcoming the very thing that you were taught didn't matter. Your feelings don't fucking matter, Jamie. Go sit in the corner and be a good girl. Be nice. And now it's time to not be nice. And I don't mean your interactions with anybody in your outside world. You don't have to change one single thing if you don't want to. It's time for you in your journaling life, in your memories to no longer be nice because that little girl has every fucking right to have her voice heard, to feel angry, to yeah. express her anger, to express her sadness. Back to you, Logan. What are you most angry about as you look back on all those messages being imprinted, all of you being neglected and so on and so forth? What is the biggest feeling that you feel? What are you mo- No, what are you most angry about and at whom?
4: Well, I would have to say that I'm most angry at my parents because of their pure lack of emotional connection with me as a child.
2: And
1: do you find yourself able open to open and emotionally connect to a person? Or has their lack of emotional connection inhibited your eagerness to emotionally connect?
4: So the I'll, I'll make the long answer short. So it's caused... Quite a bit of trouble in my life as in with a a failed marriage that only made it 10 months because of my inability to connect, and then somehow managed to get through a two year relationship where it ended because of my inability to emotionally connect.
1: Right. And the truth is, the truth is, honestly, Logan, inability to connect. If I had gone through what you went through, I'd be terrified to open up. I'd be terrified, and Jamie too, for that matter. I'd be terrified to share my feelings when you get rejected so much. As a child, it just imprints. That's fucking scary. To be that vulnerable and open up about me and share, I'd get hurt. What if you leave me? What if I show you who I really am? Which, by the way, I believe is a piece of shit. I'm a piece of shit. I only love myself. You know, Back then, let's say it was 20% or 8% or whatever, If I show you, you're definitely going to fucking leave me. I'm not going to open up. That's insane. Madness. Madness. Right? Right. Yeah. Yep. And that's where life begins. And the truth is, I've had plenty of people not like me when I open up. But it's scarier for you now. And it was scary then. Remember, I was in a 12-year suicidal depression. All right? But it's scary when you begin to open up and reveal yourself. And what precedes it is my beginning to get all all of those messages saying I'm shit, I'm not good enough, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm unwanted, Okay. the more I get those out, then I'm less burdened by this feeling of worthlessness, which means I'm willing to open up a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more. Sure, some people might not like it, but some people are going to fall in love with it. And I'm not even talking about lovers. I'm talking about buddies, friends talking about family, some family member's gonna come fall out of the woodwork and say, gosh, I've been wanting to connect with you. You're really a lovely person. And you're gonna get messages or bosses or coworkers or whatever, and you're gonna get new messages where people say, wow, you're really interesting. And you're gonna be like, what, really? Me? (laughs) When you've shown them the real you. But the only way you're gonna get to the point of being willing to open up and show the real you is getting out, identifying, seeing, remembering these stories. Allowing your authentic feelings to arise as you're remembering these stories. And I sort of put both of your feet to the fire today. Okay, what was the memory? Why then? What were you feeling? What was going on? All right, you got to do that in your own work. Or if you have a the therapist, do it with your therapist, your pastor, whoever. But you got to do that in your own work, is go down to those memories and allow up the real feelings. And, of course, part of the scary part of uh, allowing up the real feelings is seeing the real truths. Oh. never had parents to begin with. And I've sort of been hoping and hoping, hoping and wanting, and they didn't want me. And that, that, that's just, that's heavy. But then also the implications, the implications are, well, shit, if I've been alone the whole time, no wonder I felt worthless the whole time. Well, no wonder I didn't want to open up. And oh, shit, that means I'm going to have to, you know, begin to open up at some point. You don't have to rush yourself to open up. What you need to be doing though, is getting out the crud all that past messaging, um quick question for each of you, Jamie thoughts on Logan, just out of curiosity you've heard his story let's you and me talk We're mm-hmm. sort of looking at his situation, and i'm going to ask the same you, Logan. Um, what went through you as you're hearing Logan's story, or what just your thoughts on him as an outside observer
3: well i I think what he had to go through as a kid was just so absolutely shitty and unfair. And I am very sorry that he had to experience life like that and and then, you know, go on to through his life to see it through those eyes of, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. Just, you know, I'm very familiar with that message because it's, you know, kind of like my own life, but it's so sad to hear it in other people. You know, it's sad to hear somebody else because I feel like... Naturally, I always assume that other people are more confident than me, are more, you know, have it more together, and have, you know, everything's better in their life somehow. But then, just to hear, you know, his his struggles, it's very, it's very sad. But it, you know, also I'm, I know, just like anyone else, he can, he can get rid of all that shit, and, and life can get better.
1: It's kind of eye opening to watch somebody else's story and sort of see my own story, and it's like, holy shit, wait. Wait, yeah, yeah. Uh, Logan, thoughts as you've heard Jamie's story, and as I've talked with Jamie, what are your thoughts? As an outside observer looking in, what was the experience like for you? Thoughts or feelings?
4: Um, to be completely honest with you, my feelings on it all was to physically have your parents there, but to hear your mom's negative self-talk and to physically see the patterns of relationships that she set, I'm honestly sorry that you as a person had to experience that and then not not only just that but believing that it's the normalization in your life like that's the direction that you have to go in order to to feel love to feel some kind of connection with someone and to be honest with you that was complete bullshit that you had to go through that
1: brilliant brilliant statement logan well said i'm glad you brought that up um because i missed that i i failed to bring that up thank you for bringing it up the normalization that this is how i can be expected to be treated this is what love is this is great insight logan yeah so then one final question this i promise is the final question any final question that you have for me
3: I'm showing people your real self, um, yeah, I—that is so unbelievably hard for me. But I—I I know I've done it in the past because I have like a few, you know, solid friends that know the real me. But like, do you find that once you start doing that, that it becomes easier?
1: Two things: one, yes; two, it becomes easier, and you'll do it more as you're getting out the counter messages because what's keeping it inside is the fear. The fear that if I reveal a little bit more of myself, whether it's to a closest friend or someone else, the fear is they're not going to like it. Well, then where the hell is that fear coming from? It's coming from that original messaging that said I'm shit. So then it makes Mm -hmm. sense. The origin, if I want to increase my opening up, I need to decrease, reduce, eliminate, uproot those original messages. So the solution is back at the root of the problem. Uh, So twofold answer. Yes, it absolutely gets easier the more you do it. And and the more you just feel comfortable doing it and, some, and you're going to reach the point, you may think I'm full of shit on this, Jamie, but you're going to reach the point where it's like, I don't even care what people think anymore. I mean, yeah, we all want to be liked, of course, but it's like, I just want to be me. You're not there yet. And I know it seems unfathomable to you, but trust me, the more you do this, the more you're going to be like, it feels good to just be me and I like me. Any thoughts on that, Jamie?
3: It sounds nice. Okay. <laughs> it just sounds like... I don't know, like a, like a breath of fresh air.
1: And it is. And every bit you do of getting out the crud, that will increase. Logan, over to you. Any final questions?
4: So as I stated in my paragraph about combating the emptiness that I feel, like I I know that I cut my family out and it was because of the, the narcissistic behavior that they presented to me, um, Mm -hmm. But, with the emptiness, I realized that you know I it it comes from the misery that I was feeling. The misery was keeping me full. And when I cut it out, I became empty. so what what can I do as a person to get rid of that feeling but not replace it with bad behavior?
1: Right. Uh, the biggest thing you can do to get rid of that feeling is to welcome that feeling. Allow yourself to be empty. And let me ask you, and that sounds insane. What does that even fucking mean? Let me ask you this: When you are feeling empty, what does it make you feel?
4: Lonely, there like I'm, um, or connection?
1: Lonely for connection. Absolutely. So now you know what you got to journal on next. The feelings of loneliness. What else does feeling empty make you feel? Or what? Or or take this one for a spin. What's the messaging? What are the thoughts about your? yourself or your worth that go on when you're feeling empty, when you're feeling lonely, what does your brain start to do in terms of your self messaging, your self talk?
4: Oh, that's a, a pretty deep question. No, what's,
1: what's, is there a sentence or two that runs through your head when you start feeling lonely and empty about yourself? And maybe there isn't one.
4: Will I ever be good enough to have a strong connection with someone? Not, not just a, a physical, but an emotional connection.
1: Yes. And so then you've just identified the root cause of your emptiness and loneliness and and sadness. And all that goes with that is not feeling good enough because you're asking yourself, will I ever feel good enough? Which implies you don't feel good enough. Boom, nailed it. That's the source. The source of my feeling empty, the source of my feeling lonely is my feeling not good enough. Guess what you need to be journaling on next? Going into A, allowing up, welcoming all the feelings, uncomfortable as they are, of feeling not good enough. Welcoming those up, but then always pressing yourself in your journaling, in your letter writing to these people, letters you don't send. um, And that is always pressing yourself to, where's this coming from? Where did I get the messaging that I'm not good enough? Well, we identified some of that today. Actually quite a bit of it, but there's more there. And you need to be journaling about those memories and allowing up the sadness and the rage the disappointment, the betrayal, all of it. And going into those memories because the not good enough is what's causing, is driving that, will I ever be good enough, which is driving the loneliness, which is driving the emptiness. So there's, the emptiness isn't the rock bottom. There are more layers below that. Does that make sense, Logan? Yes. And I know you've been doing the work of digging. Okay, so now do you see where you need to start digging again?
4: Absolutely. I do. Um, What's the giggle? What's the giggle? Because I know the fact that the, the pain that's going to accompany that oh, is yeah. definitely going to help me become a better person.
1: But the pain is going to be painful, right? Correct. Yes. And that's always it. I'm terrified of the pain. And that's chapter three of the book. Go back and read it. I'm running. I've been running my whole damn life and and it because we fear turning into that pain we fear welcoming it and just because we know that as the great poet Rumi said the cure for the pain is the pain allowing it to come up and out and the means of facilitating that expressing that pushing out is journaling, is letter writing, is the Sedona method, is the accepting technique taught by Doreen Banizak. And I talk about that uh, in my uh, book. I give all these references. These are great tools. And some work very, very quickly. This is not a process that has takes the rest of your fucking life. Or even, a, even over a year, you can do this so quickly just keep going deeper and keep flushing out all those feelings you've been running from your entire life I love you guys I gotta tell you thank you so much for being on the show I'm gonna ask you to stick around uh, for a little uh, afterthought um, but we're gonna close out the show here thank you so much both of you for being on the show uh, thank, thank you. you thank you and uh, final thoughts
2: Rob I know it's nonsense uh, Sven but wouldn't it be nice if prospective parents had to take out a license <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think we can all agree. Yes. Shoot, if I got to get a license to drive, maybe a license to have kids yeah. seems so
2: much more important doesn't it? seems
1: a little sensible uh, but <laughs> I don't know how we'd ever legislate that uh, Casey is laughing at that when she got a kick out of that good call Rob thank you to everyone tuning in from around the world from Dubuque to Dublin we love having you here especially our South Africans our New Zealand friends and everyone else and always 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 our Canadian friends great to have you here on the Badass Counseling Show have a kickass day
0: the Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.